0: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media Thanks to the generosity of our supporters Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au
1: You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul and mind
0: Coming up today, Pastor Greg Laurie points out the importance of loving God with everything that's within us
1: some people love God with all of their minds, but there's no heart in it. Some people love God with all of their heart and their passion, but they haven't disciplined themselves to study God's word and they're easily led astray. No, we need all of these things in play to love God as we ought to. This is the day we.
0: easiest to see our human idiosyncrasies in other people take a toddler for instance that little one might be despairing over a toy or a cookie that he can't have until daddy walks through the door home from work and suddenly his focus changes and his little world is all about dad today on a new beginning pastor greg Laurie points out when our love and our focus is on our heavenly father we won't despair for the things of this world
1: The heart. How often do we hear that expression? It's a phrase that's used constantly. For instance, if you're sad, you say, Oh man, I'm heartbroken. If you find that someone is insensitive to what you're talking about, you might say something along the lines of, You know what? You are heartless. Or if someone is very emotional and quick to express the way that they feel. We might say of them, well, you know, they wear their heart on their sleeve. And then there's countless songs about the heart as well. The Eagle sang about a heartache tonight. Bruce Springsteen sang of his hungry heart. Neil Young sang about searching for a heart of gold. And then, of course, there's Billy Ray Cyrus, who sang about his achy breaky heart. And maybe that is why Toni Braxton recorded a song called Unbreak My Heart because she got an icky breaky heart. So she wanted it unbroken. So what have we learned so far about the heart from some of these songs? Your heart gets broken. Then it gets unbroken. That is a lot of trauma for the heart. Don't you think? No wonder Stevie Nicks sang Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Because your heart can be broken. It can be unbroken. It can be drug around. And that is probably why the Bee Gees recorded a song, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? What do we mean when we say the heart? Usually we are referring to our emotional center. The way it is usually framed uh, goes along the lines of, well my mind tells me to do one thing but my heart tells me another. You know a lot of crazy things have been done in the name of I am doing this from my heart. Princess Diana once said, quote, only do what your heart tells you, end quote. I guess Woody Allen believed that when he left his live-in lover and took up with her adopted daughter. It was quite the scandal. When he was asked why he would do such a thing his explanation was, well the heart wants what it wants. Yeah. What is all this talk of the heart? Doing what the heart wants, uh, etc. Well, this is a very important subject. Let me first say that you should not let your heart tell you what to do, because your heart can mislead you. The Bible also speaks of the heart, and here's what it says in Jeremiah 17:9: "The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things; who can know it?" And then Jesus went on to say in Matthew 15: Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Yeah it is true. The heart wants what it wants. And a lot of times the heart wants the wrong things. So we should not focus on our heart as much as we ought to focus our heart on God. And that brings us to our text where Jesus tells us what to do with our hearts. Instead of talking about it being broken or unbroken or dragging it around or wearing it on your sleeve. He tells you to use your heart as well as your mind and your soul for what they were created for. Now the backdrop of this is Jesus had just dealt with the Sadducees. As you recall they were the religious leaders that did not believe that there was life beyond the grave. So they came to Christ with a hypothetical situation. They talked about a woman who was married to a man who died. So she married his brother. He died. She married another of His brothers. He died. On this went to seven brothers. They all died. And then they asked the question, well whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Jesus' response was, you guys, you know, you don't know the Scripture or the power of God. So He put them in their place and answered their question. Now the Pharisees feel it's their turn and they come with this question. And we pick it up in Matthew 22 verse 34. When the Pharisees heard He had silenced the Sadducees they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked Him a question testing Him. So understand this was designed to paint Christ into a corner if you will. Testing Him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets." So here are the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus because they had endless debates about what commandments were greater or lesser. Uh, They basically had documented 613 commandments in the law. And they identified 248 of those commandments as being positive and 365 of them being negative. And so they knew that no one could keep all of the commandments. Therefore they identified some commandments as heavy and other commandments as light. Uh, We have a modern equivalent of this and the idea of sin being described as both mortal and venial. The idea is a venial sin is bad. But it is not as bad as a mortal sin. Some sins are worse than others. Here is the problem with all of this thinking. It is not biblical. God doesn't make those distinctions and there is no such thing as a mortal or a venial sin. Having said that it is worth noting that some sins are worse than others. Now one sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. Right. Because the Bible says, if you offend in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. Yet some sins carry greater penalties than others. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, when Jesus was talking to Pontius Pilate, he said, The one that delivered me to you has committed the greater sin. (laughs) Now, what Pilate was about to do is pretty bad, okay? Pilate was going to have Christ scourged and beaten beyond human recognition and ultimately murdered in cold blood and nailed to a cross. How could anyone commit a sin worse than what Pilate had done? Yet Jesus said, the one that sent me to you has committed the greater sin. Well who sent Jesus to Pilate? Well we don't have the exact answer. There's two options that I can see. One is Caiaphas. The other is Judas. He probably was referring to Caiaphas the high priest. Caiaphas studied the Word of God. He knew what was true. Yet he intentionally, willfully sent Jesus to be crucified. Why was his sin greater than Pilate's? Because Pilate, he was what we might describe as a garden variety non-believer. He was your classic Roman pagan. You know he worshipped multiple gods including the Caesars themselves. And he really had no uh, sense of right and wrong as we would know it. But Caiaphas… Raised, studying the Scripture, knowing the Torah, and now here he is a spiritual leader. Yet he takes the Messiah of Israel and sends Him to be put to death by the Romans. Or Jesus may have been referring to Judas Iscariot who was one of the handpicked disciples of Christ. He spent some three years walking and talking with our Lord and yet he betrayed Him for 30 pieces of silver. And Judas knew he was innocent because he himself said, I have betrayed innocent blood. So why is this sin greater? Because they knew better and yet they did this. So back to this debate. The greater commandments. The lesser commandments. Jesus saying, guys, let's get to the heart of the matter. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is known as the Shema. Something that every Jew would have memorized. They had it written down and placed in that little uh, box that they would wear strapped to their head known as the phylactery. Uh, This was something they were very familiar with. The Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. So here is what Christ is saying. Instead of worrying about all these little commandments and which one is worse than the other get back to this. Love God with all of your being and I say all this stuff will be sorted out. Makes complete sense, doesn't it? Because really, if I love the Lord my God, with all of my heart, soul, and mind, I'll naturally want to do what He wants me to do.
0: Great to have you with us today. You're listening to A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie, the Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. And he's pointed out so far that the question of which is the greatest commandment is actually a moot point. We need to love God with all our heart. And if we do... We'll do what the Lord wants us to do. Let's continue.
1: The Ten Commandments are divided into two sections, four and six. And so it's not five and five is something, it's four and six. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The final six deal with our relationship with others. If I really love the Lord my God, with all of my heart, soul, and mind, I will not want to have another god before him or worship a false idol or take his name in vain. And if I love my neighbor as I love myself I will not want to steal from him or kill her or covet something that belongs to them. So the idea is if I can get down to this basic truth of loving God everything else will find its proper place. It was Augustine that said, Love God and do what you please. That sounds like a dangerous statement. But really if we love God as we ought to we will want to do the things that please God. But what does it mean when Jesus says, Love the Lord. He tells us we should love Him with our heart, with our soul, and with our mind. And Mark's version of this adds the word strength to it as well. It means that you are to love God with every part of your being. But let's break this down for a moment and try to understand these terms. First of all, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. For the Hebrew mind the heart spoke of the center or the core of one's being. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else guard your heart for it affects everything that you do. So it just speaks of your core, your heart. Their word soul probably more closely correlates to our use of the word heart. For the Hebrew the soul referred to their emotion. It is the word that Jesus used when He cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. So as I said in some ways the Hebrew word for soul was closer to our word heart. But then He says that we are to love God with our mind as well. So this is the idea of moving ahead with energy and strength. So put it all together. Genuine love for the Lord is intelligent. It is feeling. It is willing. And it is serving. Again it is an intelligent love. It is a feeling love. It is a willing love. And it is a serving love. Some people love God with all of their minds. But there is no heart in it. Uh, They love to study. They love to be correct theologically. But there is no passion in their life. Some people love God with all of their heart and their passion and their emotion but they haven't disciplined themselves to study God's Word and they are easily led astray. No. We need all of these things in play to love God as we ought to. If we can love the Lord as we ought to then our life will find its proper balance. But guess what. This love that we have for Christ can be walked away from. Sometimes we don't love Him as we once did. We look back in our lives as Christians and we will say, there was a time in my walk with the Lord where my love was much stronger than it is today. I have effectively left my first love. Uh, This happens in marriage all the time. You know when two people are are newly married. Maybe you see them out and about. They are so affectionate You see this young couple holding hands, gazing into each other's eyes, kissing. You say, they must be newly married. Why? Because people who have been married for a while don't do that anymore. Or when that newly married couple has their first conflict we say, ah the honeymoon is over. Right? Well this happens in our faith too. Where that affection is gone. That passion is gone. The communication is broken down. And in effect the honeymoon is over. This was the situation with the church uh, in Ephesus that Jesus spoke to in the book of Revelation. They were an active, busy, engaged church. But they were lacking in love. So let's read about them now. Go over to Revelation 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he, that holds the seven stars in his right hand, this is speaking of Christ, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. This is a picture of the church. So here is Jesus walking through the church. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And you found them liars. Verse three. And you have persevered and have patience and you have labored for My name's sake and you have not become weary. Nevertheless I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here we find a really active church serving the Lord with great effort. But they were guilty of a sin that the average person could not detect. They had left their first love. It doesn't say they lost it. Sometimes people ask the question, have you lost your first love? You don't lose it. You leave it. That is the word Jesus uses. If you lose something you don't know where it is. Otherwise it would not be lost. But you can leave something. You can walk away from someone. That's what Jesus is talking about. When he says you have left your first love, he is effectively saying, You no longer love me as you first did. You see, these believers in Ephesus were so busy maintaining their separation, they were neglecting their adoration. They were substituting perspiration for inspiration. Now, is this really that big of a deal? Oh, yeah, big thing. They left their first love. Yeah, actually, it's a real big deal. Because if you read the words of Jesus to the seven churches and Revelation you will find things get progressively worse. Starting with a breakdown of the first love to the church of Ephesus and culminating with the outright rejection of Christ in the church of Laodicea where we find Jesus is on the outside trying to get in. Say, behold I stand at the door and knock. And if you will hear my voice and open the door I will come in. That verse is often quoted as we tell non-believers. Uh, about how they can accept Christ. But in its context it was to the church. The unbelieving church. And so this is how things can get worse. So yes it is a big deal to leave your first love because it can lead to worse things down the road.
0: To Greg Laurie pointing out the danger of leaving our first love in this study called Loving God. And next time we'll have some more insights from Pastor Greg's message on the importance of loving God. But before we leave today, here he is once again with one more thought about love in marriage.
1: Now I'm not saying that even after you've been married for years that you should have the emotions of a person that just met someone else. You know, maybe when you first met your husband or wife to be. Or maybe it is your boyfriend or girlfriend right now. It was a big thing. You saw them and you got all excited. And you were nervous about meeting them and you didn't know what to say. And then you spent some time together. And even now when they walk into the room your, your mouth goes dry and your head gets light and your heart feels like it has butterflies in it. If I still felt that way with my wife that I have been married to for 37 years she would probably think I was having a heart attack. See, the the love of marriage is deeper than the mere emotional thing that brings you together. So God is not saying, I want you to always have your heart of flutter and have an emotional experience with me. He's saying, I want a deeper, committed, lasting love, and I want it to stay strong for a lifetime. Today's message
0: from Pastor Greg Laurie was called, Loving God. If you'd like to listen again, just download the free Vision Christian Media app, where it's available as a podcast. Or for a copy on CD, contact Vision Christian Store on one 800 0 50 11, or go to visionstore.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.